Well, I'm going to start the uh, podcast, everybody. I'm going to have a game here at the beginning. We're going to have everybody guess while you're listening, and especially if you're watching Zoom, what is this podcast going to be about? <laughs> I'll tell you if you're just listening to this podcast that there's a little tiny thing here I'm holding with a tree and a Santa Claus and a snowman. And then in the middle, on a glass that's supposed to represent a skating rink, there's a little snowman going around and around. And there's a man that he's going around that he's bumping into that looks like he has no interest at all in skating. He looks like he's getting pushed around by the snowman. So that, that represents today's topic. All right. So today we're talking about the holidays. And of course, one, one big holiday is Christmas. And that's our, I'm at my house and it's just a little Christmassy thing. For those on Zoom, I'm showing another typical Christmassy thing, which is the little globe with snow coming down. And now for anyone who's watching, I'm show, going to show a beautiful work of art, which is a menorah that was created in Israel. That's gorgeous that we use when Hanukkah comes because I'm in a blended family, so to speak. Um, so anybody, anyway, welcome everybody. This is the podcast to Hell and Back. It is uh, the 12th of December, 2019, um, two weeks before Christmas, two, actually two weeks before Christmas Eve, two weeks before I think the first day of Hanukkah, and about two weeks before Kwanzaa which happens right around Christmas also. Um, and so it's like, we're really, like we're pell-mell heading into the holiday season. We've we already passed, you know, if this was the Indianapolis 500, that we passed like 450, which was Thanksgiving. And we're like heading down the runway into, uh, into Christmas and then New Year's. And so when I say the holiday season, I'm talking about roughly from Thanksgiving to New Year's. And we're featuring it today, myself, and I'm about to introduce John Motter. Uh, we're, we're gonna talk about, um, you know, managing the stresses of the holidays, um, the excesses of the holidays, the indulgences of the holidays, the bad memories associated with the holidays, the disappointed expectations of the holidays, the judgments that come up around your family in the holidays, the, the, all, the, all the shit that happens around the holidays that you're all supposed to be wonderful. You know, like wasn't just to, to celebrate the miracle of, of Jesus Christ's birth, the miracle of Hanukkah, of these lights, the, enough oil, not for just one candle, but when it was bad, badly needed, when eight candles uh, for eight nights of Hanukkah, and, and a victory uh, over a, a difficult foe. Uh, there's just a, and, and in fact, it's the same time of year, December 21st, that we have the shortest day of the year. Now we're heading into the um, time of year when supposedly we're getting more and more light, though those of us who live in New England don't really notice that very well. I mean, January and February are the big winter months as far as snow and stuff. So anyway, but, but what the heck is this? What the heck is this that we are having like these hopeful celebrations, wonderful things 
and I and we're talking about like the dark side. Um, so that's what we're going to get into, and I want to introduce uh, John Motter and bring him right into this conversation. I'll just say John is a um, a psychotherapist in a practice called uh, I think Carolina Integrative Therapy or psychotherapy in uh, Chapel Hill, North Carolina, one of those incredibly wonderful college towns. Um, and uh, he's in a DBT practice. He has one of the most cool websites you'll ever see in DBT. I want to recommend you all go there. It's called uh, www.dbtfamilyskills.com. And really, you go right to the homepage of the website, and you see what the what they do, they really emphasize DBT skills with couples, with families, with individuals. Um, does that include teenagers, John? Now that I'm thinking about it. Yeah, there, we would be some teenagers, certainly with families. With families of teenagers. And they have, a, a, what's also cool about the website is they've got some introductory videos about some things. Whoop, there's a sound. There's, for instance, there's one, there's one cool thing that they focus on, just a little application of DBT called using mindfulness in the red zone. And the red zone is when, you know, the emotions are hot and things are difficult. And so, and one of the hard times to use mindfulness. And so, and then they have these cool materials. And one of the, and, and they announce a lot of classes that sound very cool. And then they have a, materials and one of the materials which I have in front of me and which you can go to their website and get and you can download it and print it out you know they aren't hanging on to this themselves they want the world to get this is called a DBT holiday antidotes and John has worked on this over the years the top 10 holiday antidotes ways to use DBT skills to help to temper some of the excesses and stresses and bad experiences of the holidays as an individual or as a family. So um, it's, we're going to be speaking about this. You're welcome to download it and look at it while we're talking, or you could print it out and look at it, or you can, I don't think you need to be looking at it while we talk. We're pretty much going to be user-friendly here. Um, so that's what this is about today. I do want to say what's coming up on the podcast, because there's just it's one of the few places I just announce anything. Uh, I also do it on Facebook. I do it on the DBT listserv. I do it on the LinkedIn with whoever's with me on LinkedIn. But so I want to tell you, next week is going to be part two of what I did last week. And part two uh, of, of what's the point of life? What's the point of living? Uh, it's really about pointlessness and how to cope with the feeling of pointlessness if you are one of those many people that has that kind of feeling that there's no meaning in life and that we're all insignificant and it really is painful. It's not just sort of philosophical musings, it's actually really painful. And so uh, last week I talked about that, but um, also I was cut a little bit, a little bit short by technological things. But next week I'm gonna really go into solutions from a DBT perspective of how to frame that concept of life feeling pointless or meaningless or insignificant and how to use various aspects of DBT to try to help with that. So that'll be next week. Then comes uh, Christmas and New Year's. So we're, I'm not going to have podcasts then. Once I'm in January, I just want to alert you in well in advance if this is of interest or if you have people that might want to listen to this, um, that 
I'm inviting, uh, starting January 16th, for three consecutive weeks, I'm going to be uh, talking with Seth Axelrod, who's a DBT expert at Yale, actually just won the, the national meeting of DBT, international meeting of DBT this year, uh, teacher of the year or outstanding educator. Uh, and he is indeed that. And he's a, a remarkable person. And the, among other things, he has been coping for years with uh, a, a late stage of cancer and a variety of treatments that have been really challenging. And so he has agreed to come on and talk about his experiences of coping with cancer, coping with the treatments of cancer and the side effects of the treatments while trying to keep his life up and how he has used whatever he's used. And I think that'll include a lot of talking about DBT skills to cope with his life during this time. So this might be of general interest. So if you want to get the word around, that's January 16th. Okay, so back to what um, we're doing today. Um, you know, I, I'm going to do like another two minutes of introduction, and then I'm going to ask John to join me and talk about something. Because um, when I asked that question about how in a period of time, in an era of the year, in a month of the year, when we're celebrating such hopeful things, how is it that we end up in emotional trouble? And I think there's a lot of reasons and we're gonna be getting into them. And I'm, I encourage John to join me in that it may include sharing our own personal experiences, either ourselves or our families or people that we've worked with or known. Like what, what is it about this that can be difficult? And I think just to summarize what some of the things are that make it really difficult, which is no news to you, but just to organize our thinking. I think when the holidays come, it, for whatever reasons, um, a lot of hopes are fueled. A lot of dreams are, are, are fertilized. A lot of, you know, going back to, I mean, I had a sister who every year wanted a pony. I mean, and that was a big deal for her, like every year. I knew even I was six years older than her, I knew she would never get a pony. We had no situation. No one in our family knew a thing about a pony. We didn't have a place to have a pony. I mean, we weren't people who knew even where there was a stable to have a pony. So, but every year it was like, we could make a list on the refrigerator of what presents each of us once. There were five kids and hers was always just, she would put one thing. She would just put a pony. And it was so disappointing for her every year. She would never get a pony. Even she got a dog one year, and that was a pretty good substitute. But you, even as a child, you have these hopes and dreams, and, and you often get disappointed. Um, and as an adult, well, I'm speaking for myself, I, I have hopes because I had a pretty good set of Christmas experiences as a young child. And they're still sort of in the back of my mind. So when Christmas comes, I'm always thinking, this will be the magical year that'll be just like childhood. Like we're going to get up in the early morning and we're going to look at the presents under the tree. We're going to sneak around. And my father's going to not let us do that. And he's going to put a big sheet up over the room so we can't see until we've had breakfast. And we have a Christmas present at breakfast. But then we all have to clean up and become very obsessional because my mother was very obsessional. And then we wait and wait. And then boom, we go into the room and all of our dreams are fulfilled. That's a real idealization of what actually happened. But, but it's sort of like when Christmas comes, I have this in the back of my mind, like there's going to be amazing things happening. And then when they don't, which is typical, um, it's like, so hopes are fueled in people by these holidays. 
excesses are fueled in these holidays. More food than ever, more sweets than ever, more frosting than ever, more alcohol than ever, more eggnog than ever. Like all of these things, it's just like we all go, I do, I do. I'm speaking for myself and a few people that I know, but yeah, so some people have excesses. There's memories that come up, and that includes when I meant I, I gave this uh, I gave John's holiday antidotes to my skills group yesterday, and uh, and 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 I went over it a little bit with them, and and then they're gonna you do a worksheet on it, which comes with it uh, for next week for a homework assignment. And I asked uh, how how many of you have bad memories associated with the holidays, and only one out of four. So it isn't everybody. I mean, just but this one person said that's when all of my traumatic memories come mm. flooding back. Mm. So that is not unusual for people to have bad memories, memories of losses that have taken place because you remember when you had so-and-so with you, your mother, your father, your brother, your dog, whoever it was, and now you don't have them maybe. And, and so Christmas and, and Hanukkah and holidays can really do that. There's more shoulds and judgments that come up around these things partly because of the expectations and hopes and dreams there should uh here's how people should behave you know i've already had one knockdown drag out in my own life with uh, uh because my wife who's jewish and she's a great helper at christmas but she doesn't have christmas from deep inside the way i do she has jewish things from deep inside but it's sort of like Christmas comes and she really has been great and good spirit, especially compared to the first one or two years we were together 35 years ago when she didn't even want us to have a tree. You know, it just was offensive to her. Well, now we have everything, you know, and she helps with it. However, she planned for us to go out on Christmas Eve for a dinner with some really good friends, like a couple, and they have their children and they wanted our children to come. So she assumed we would all go. <clears throat> I wasn't so sure I wanted to. I've never done that on Christmas Eve. It just violated a typical pattern or ritual of what Christmas Eve is to me. Mm -hmm. Not that there's anything great scripted, but it, whatever it was, it wasn't what I usually do. So I thought, okay, but I tried to practice willingness. So, you know, this is how the world works. This is really a nice idea. Let's go for it. And one of my sons said, absolutely not. He wouldn't go. And then it was like my wife says, well, then we should... So well, he can do something else and the three of us will go. We have, we have two sons. And I said, I put my foot down and says, no way we're all go, we're going separate ways on Christmas Eve. You don't understand. Well, what's the big deal? It's another night. I mean, it's like, this is a nice ritual. Okay, so he doesn't want to come. So he doesn't want to come. What's the big deal? I said, I'm sorry. I mean, we're going to be together doing something. I don't care what it is we're doing, but we're all together. And I didn't even know I had that expectation until this came up. But then it became like this big thing. Like, so I, I was a little judgmental of her and I was a little judgmental of these other people because they wanted us to help decorate their tree. And I thought, you don't decorate each other's trees where I come from. You don't decorate your own tree and have people over. Oh my God, I couldn't believe all this happened in me. I'm fucking seven, I'm sorry, I'm 70 <laughs> years old. I'm 70 years old and I'm worried about things like this. I mean, it's crazy. So I think these things come up, I think, People have time off, that's a problem. People have more time with their families, that's a problem. But that's just a few little examples of many that I, that I could come up with where I personally find the holidays both exciting, hope-inducing. Mm -hmm. Maybe this'll be the year 
that, you know, such and such will happen, that, you know, that will make every, that everyone will be happy in the family. And of course it's not, it's not, it just doesn't work that way. That's not the way reality rarely works except for a moment. So anyway, so John, I did ask you in preparation for this, just to give a little thought and see if you could say a little bit about your own experiences with the holidays and what, what they bring up in you or, or in people that you're close to. Thanks, Charlie. Um, yeah, I was thinking about that. It's, um, I have, I have um, been blessed actually to have um, parents who were both school teachers and they really wanted to create healthy, supportive experiences for their kids. So, um, you know, I'm still touched actually, if I even think about like my father putting together a train track for me all night long. So when I was seven years old, I would wake up to that. And I know that in, they, I remember another year where they gave me a, a little miniature printing press. I don't think you can get this stuff now because the ink is probably toxic. But I, <laughs> but I had, I, I basically could, make my own little newspaper and this was like rolling it like cranking up the, the papers oh, and God. I stayed up till I don't know what time I was up past they went to bed and I was still up and that was okay because that's not something I always did and I, I, I felt like I had that support now even with all that goodness though I certainly experienced what you described where I would have all this excitement build and anticipation and then i would feel mm, I, I would say now looking back i would say almost like depressed afterwards like there was something um, missing there was something disappointing there was something even with all this care and um love that was missing mm. and i i think that was in a way kind of my first introduction to accepting reality that what I would wish for is not always possible. Mm. And to be able to accept the reality of what I have. I do you remember this, do you remember wrestling with that as a as a boy? Like yeah. you'd open a present and you know that experience where it isn't quite what you wanted and now how are you supposed to display like either your disappointment or not not display your not I mean that's a that's a moment to learn to deal with that my children when they were much younger didn't deal with very well. <laughs> uh, yes, I I certainly um, remember encouraging my children at times to say thank you. Um, <laughs> it's thank you. Uh, yeah, yeah I mean, this, but thank you. <laughs> it, it's like we are in this position where. Um, we're being asked to be simultaneously spontaneous and also uh, be uh, thankful. But what, what happens when that's not what's <laughs> spontaneously coming? So yeah, I certainly experienced that. And I remember um, even times where I would get something from my brother or sister and uh, they would take 
I don't know if, um, you know, the old stopwatches, you just click and the little dial would go around. I mean, let's just say that this, the, the dial didn't go very far before they were opening their next present. That's right. Like milliseconds. And I remember feeling really disappointed, but I, I spent time finding that for you and wrapping it and giving it to you and they're off to the next one. Right, right. So, right. I also appreciate that I actually um, have this, these good memories. And um, I know that many people don't. Right. And they don't have that um, possibility to even remember that. It's not in there. And, you know, what we're trying to do in some ways is help them to create healthy, rewarding, meaningful experiences now without having that base. Yeah, it's really hard. It's, it's really, really hard. Because so much of the culture and what you're describing and what I'm describing depend, revolve around rituals about what you do. Uh, Christmas morning, what you do the night before, what you do, do you go to church or not? Do you do this or that? And if you don't have positive things like positive versions of those, or at least somewhat positive, you know, it's really, it's really hard to create a ritual and stick yeah. to it here as a family or even as an individual. Yes. It doesn't yeah. have the same um, kind of underpinning, I think. Um, it, it, it doesn't. So, I mean, this is the, the irony, the paradox of, of these holidays is there are such expectations whether you have a family, whether you have lots of friends, whether you're celebrating alone, there's still expectations. Right. And there's different challenges and struggles. And I know in our, one of our skills groups, we were recently going around talking about how people coped with the Thanksgiving holidays. And, yeah. and um, there was one person in our group who was alone for that and, um, and talked about how she use some of the skills. Um, actually, we did the holiday antidotes before Thanksgiving because I find a lot of people actually head off to family then. So uh, she did use some of the skills in finding some other friends mm. to spend time with. And again, to be able to be intentional about creating some really, I think, social ways of being together because this is all interpersonal these holidays are all about being social how, how do we help how do we support each other to do that so i was really she got a lot of reinforcement for that of how yeah. she made those efforts to reach out and establish something and and who knows maybe that will become a ritual right i mean right well, it does become a ritual. It's already a ritual in lots of places around Thanksgiving. It's called Friendsgiving. And, uh, you know, my, my, one of my sons at his apartment, he's, he's not always had the happiest moments of Thanksgiving and stuff. But this year, he knew a bunch of people through a club he's in. And he had them over to his place the, the week before Thanksgiving, I think. And they made three turkeys and they ended up with like many of those people brought other people because there's a lot of people that don't yeah. feel that their family Thanksgiving is a big hit these days. Whereas in, it's glorified in the past that Thanksgiving is the time 
you know, over the river and through the woods to grandmother's house we go and all of these wonderful things, but actually it just ain't like that for some people. And so a Friendsgiving takes away some of the stresses of old family dynamics and you just get together as friends. And once that becomes a ritual even more than one year, that can be quite a nice substitute. It, it's yes. you know, hard to find that, but I think there's more of that available now than there was in the past. Yes because yeah. nuclear families just haven't held it all together the way they used to. Yes, yes. Yeah, that's cool that you did it then. And I really like, you You said this last year, I, did, I forgot to say to everybody, John and I had the conversation about the same topic a year ago. Uh, actually, I was looking at the date, it was closer to Chris, Christmas last year. Yeah. Not much closer, because it couldn't have been much, but maybe another week. Another week. And, um, and I loved that, and I said it last year uh, too, that I loved that you brought up an example where, um, you know, I think one of the things that happens to a lot of us is uh, to get caught in a swirl of activity or a swirl of family dynamics and pressures and expectations and judgments and hopes and dreams. And all of that creates quite, a, quite an intense stew, quite an intense current. And it's very, um, it can be very hard to swim against that current or hard to stay afloat or just to, I mean, if you picture it like white water in a river, hard to just sort of keep your balance and stay on track and keep paddling. And I think a lot of these skills, the way you wrote them up, and I looked at them more with more time this year and in the past couple of days, it was really fun for me to really look carefully at them and think about them. They really, a lot of them are, as DBT is, kind of how do you paddle? How do you keep paddling? when the white water gets going and it, it's churning and you're getting dragged towards a waterfall that you don't want to go over, you know? So you really have to deliberately, and, and what some people have been trained in their emotional lives to be kind of passive with respect to strong emotions, passive with respect to expectations of other people. So it's like, how do you author your own experience even if it isn't like the perfect experience or the one you wish you were having like you know, the one you mentioned somebody being alone for thanksgiving or alone for a holiday is one of those things can be really painful um and you really kind of have to think what what could i do to maybe not to create a great experience but to you know to not get destabilized by this Mm -hmm. and, and that might mean, you know, to do some of these things um, yeah. that you've written down. Well, that was one of the purposes of putting together these holiday antidotes. The DBT skills are so empowering. People go through our skills groups and, you know, within a few sessions, they're wishing they had gotten this sooner. They're people are thinking about how to get this into the classrooms and get this started earlier. And I love it when some of our group members are teachers and they come back and they tell us about what they're doing with their kids. Yeah. I have a second grade teacher in one of our groups who created chime time, which would ring a chime. And it was, as long as that chime was ringing, it was just time to be still and quiet. Yeah. So, you yeah. know, that kind of a mindful gap. How do we learn to do that? really early on so so when we these skills are can be so proactive and to package them together was the idea in a way that would be kind of fun um kind of 
at the time, David Letterman, top 10, you know. Uh, That's right. No, I thought of that while I was reading them. It is like the captains. Yeah, pick and choose. Because after I looked at them really carefully in the last couple of days, I was, I was picking my next five uh, yes. that would be in that list. There are a few more that I that I think would be that came to mind that I hadn't really thought about before for the holidays. But um, you, it must have been hard to narrow this down to ten. And actually, some of your ten have more than one in them. Oh, did you notice? <laughs> oh my God! Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Like clusters of bananas. Um, well, well. You want to, what was one of your top five or your, your next five? Oh, one of my next five. I wrote, I think I wrote them down somewhere. Um, uh, well, I'll tell you, I mean, one of them, uh, I'll, get, I'll give you two uh, that I thought of. One was willingness, which isn't yeah. too far from some of what you've got there. But I think that willingness as a skill, which is the skill of, of playing the hand that you've been dealt in a card game even yeah. if it wasn't the hand you wish you had, how to play willingly. So willingness would be, for instance, me agreeing, okay, let's go to these other people's house for, uh, for Christmas Eve. That's a perfectly good idea. These are good friends. My wife would like to do it. Maybe it's a good ritual for the future. So I kind of had to shift away from my willful feeling, which mm -hmm. was over yeah. my dead body, are we going to go out on Christmas Eve to these friends' house? And they, and, and help, you know, do this. And so willingness would, and, and I think around the holidays, there's like a million opportunities that bring up the possibility of practicing willingness, the going with the flow, as long as it's not dangerous. I, I'm glad something you said, John, because you and I when, I, when I think of what we've each shared, even though there are some moments that are difficult, we both have had, it sounds to me, relatively charmed experiences compared to a lot of people that probably both of us have worked with. I mean, let's say your experience instead is that you have alcoholic parents and Christmas comes or holidays come and they drink more and your memories are actually pretty terrible. And you could just do, you just wish you went from, D, from November 25th to January 5th and you could just cut out everything in between. I mean, because with alcoholism or drug abuse or people with excess, excess things, it can be so bad. Or people who tend to be more, more violent or, or just more abusive or critical. Yeah. So for those people, it's, a, it's different. But so I don't mean willingness, willing to go along with things that are actually destructive, mm -hmm. but willingness to participate in some chosen things when you feel willful. So that would be, that would be one. Yep. The other one I thought of is, is only in the last version of the manual, a DBT skill, and even now it isn't quite taught as a skill, but being dialectical. So it's taught with adolescents and with families yeah. as a skill. So I think being dialectical around the holidays yeah. and realizing, like, I really have to do that because I'm in a family where, you know, I'm the only one who grew up as a Christian, yeah. uh, and my wife didn't, and my kids haven't. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of like... There has to be the recognition, but it doesn't have to be that kind. Just every family has these differences of, of approach, differences of style, differences of temperament, like that there's room for everybody in the family. That, yeah. and, and that that means that there are more than one valid ways to go about the holidays. And, and there could be differences of opinion and those could both be honored. And you could try to find a way that meets, you know, find the middle path. So I think the middle path skills would be another really good one around the holidays.
I really like that. That one came up um, this week when I was working with a couple uh, where their experiences of family were polar opposites, which is not that unusual. Um, so, you know, one partner's family was very, very close and the other is very, very distant. So, you know, in DBT family skills, again, we do talk about the dialectics of family functioning and, and one of the continuums is of closeness. And we know that connectedness is essential. That's one of the dialectical principles. And you speak really well about the, um, the you know, Thich Nhat Hanh's uh, understanding of interconnectedness and inner being. Um, so they were grappling with and are still going to be working with understanding their whole feeling, their whole sense of going to spend time with family at the holidays is completely opposite. Um, so how, do, and so there's the challenge. How do we hold the dialectic? How do we hold that respect? While also appreciating there really can be extremes that are not helpful. You know, if we're so distant that it's just chaos, that's going to be very hard to maintain relationship. Also though, if we're so close, it's enmeshed where it's difficult to have that emotional autonomy, that's its own challenge. So yeah. we get through, I, I like what you're saying about holding the dialectic in this. No, I think that there, there's, it's, it's how to be dialectical within yourself, as well as across different family members, yeah. or across different, across different like nuclear families within an extended family. Um, mm -hmm. which I experienced growing up because I had two sets of cousins in, that would be at Christmas and, and there were differences. But even within yourself, I've, I've wrestled over the years and I think I still do now with the feeling when a holiday comes, like and you, if you have plans, that it's possible to go through the whole day and just be drifting along in the plans mm -hmm. and actually never have a moment to yourself. I mean, it's the, or sort of the opposite of the person who's spending the time alone. Yeah. And it's sort of yeah. like the enmeshed side of what you're talking about. And right. I think right. To find in yourself that it's valid for you to make a plan yeah. and communicate it to people, if, if possible, that you're going to go off for three hours and you're going to go take a long walk in the woods or you're going to take a run or you're just going to go to your favorite place or you're going to go visit a friend and everybody's going to say, oh, why are you leaving on, on the holiday? You can't do that. And then you have to kind of hold your ground and validate and say, look, I'm just leaving for, I need three hours to myself because I'm that kind of person. I know you may not be that way. And so it's sort of like how to help people have authorization to um, have the remoteness they need. Uh, you've got introspective people. You've got people who are really like not introspective. What's the term? Extra introverted introverted people the research on introverted people i mean for an introverted person to spend an hour with a group of people can be exhausting i mean whereas for the gregarious extroverted people it's just food for wanting to be with everybody more and it's a dramatic difference i mean we have that even in between my wife and myself i can be with people a bit longer but but she if we're if we're with people a little too long it's like you know it's like really draining and so yeah. and it's not a matter of being against people and so it's right it's allowing those differences to express themselves 
and especially in holidays when there are such strong currents about how you're supposed to behave. Yeah. Um, so yeah, dialectics would be more. Yeah. I think that would be. It sort of subsumes two or three other skills, but I think that would that that would be another good one to add to your your next ten. You know. I'm imagining this kind of chorus of appreciation for all those who seek solitude in the midst of these holidays. They're saying, thank you for saying that. <laughs> well, I used to have, I used to be a runner, like I was never a good runner, but I was one of these inveterate joggers. And, uh, and I, I would make a point, not because I thought it through like this, it was before I thought like this, but, it, but in my early adulthood, uh, I'd be with a family, but I would, I would just, it would seem natural to me to get up on, on yeah. the morning of Christmas and get up early and go for a run. And yeah. somehow that helped preserve me. Yes. Uh, just to know that I did that. And sometimes feelings would come up during that kind of a run, feelings of mm -hmm. sadness or feel, memory yeah. things. And, and, uh, and it might even allow me to anticipate what it was going to be like to be back with mm -hmm. everybody and what might be hard about that and be yeah. ahead with, with, with imagining what to do. Yeah. Preserve myself. One of the things that I do, and, and I've made it a pretty regular assignment <clears throat> for couples that I'm working with when they're going to visit family or friends is to have some time to go walk, to have some time where they get out of the house, out of that stew, that energy field. Right, right and get out and just be the two of them together at some distance. And similarly, like to, I too will go out for a run. You mean physically take a walk together, but not necessarily holding hands or next to each other, but you, is that what you mean at some distance? Uh, no, I mean, I, I think that whatever they're walking together, however they want to walk together, but oh, okay. they are a twosome. Oh, I see. Just outside of that larger I get group. Yeah, yeah. And the chance to connect and touch base because there can be lots of misunderstandings happening oh, and they're not addressed because you're not in a situation you'd be able to address them or there can be planning that would actually be helpful or it's just like, oh, oh gosh, it's just great to be outside. Yeah, it's a really good, that's a great recommendation, you know. To reconnect with another person in that situation, it is so rife for misunderstandings. I mean, in you know, you have huge differences come up. You see things differently. I mean, and uh, so you know, especially if you also have children in the in these situations, or brothers and sisters, and you have feelings about these different people, what they're doing, and so one of the members of a couple is thinking, oh my God, that was so embarrassing. That was terrible. And I, I, the kids opened that present from the didn't even say thank you. It's a horrible thing. And the other one is thinking, come on, this is a kid. And so it's a big, not a big deal. And, blah. and then you go for a walk and you realize you have this big discrepancy. And yes. as you talk it out, you have at least the opportunity to rejoin. Um, it's a really good, it's a, I hadn't thought of that suggestion. I think I may use that this year. <laughs> myself <laughs> I think I will you know we had strange be, being a blended family you have some strange experiences so the, when my when I first was the first time one of the first times I went to my wife's family well it was the first time it was a long time ago went for Thanksgiving dinner uh, her parents were uh, on Long Island and we went there and uh, 
And her mother had this kind of uh, sort of sense of humor that sometimes bordered into not being very funny and a little hostile and stuff. And so um, I can, you know, and so this, I actually thought what she did was quite funny, but the family had mixed feelings about it. I'm sitting there, we, we're done with dinner and she's bringing out dessert. And she gives everybody a piece of chocolate cake, which was sort of typical for them at Thanksgiving. To me, she puts a fruit cake in front of me, you know, and she says, I always get these fruit cakes from Christians at Christmas time. So I'm assuming that you would like to have a, a fruit cake for dessert. And my, my wife-to-be and future wife, I mean, she was like, oh my God, mom, that was so crude, rude. That was a terrible thing. I actually thought it was quite funny. And yes. she made it as funny, though I, I, I can't stand up for some of the other things she's done. But, um, and then we were at my family's house the first time my wife was out there during the holidays, and before we were married, I think. And uh, we celebrated Hanukkah while we were out there. And so we got out of the menorah, and we were doing a prayer with the menorah, the song with the menorah, actually, and, and lighting candles. And so we were doing that, and my mother was watching, um, so that they got to see what does what, what a Jewish family do. And, uh, and after we do it, my mother comes up and says, well, now do you blow out the candles and make a wish? <laughs> she said, no, it it's, doesn't mean that. <laughs> so even these misunderstandings when you come from either totally different traditions or different families, um, it just goes on every day, of course, it goes on. You don't have to get to the holidays to have these things happen, but holidays really sort of stand out. Now, look, I want to ask you, because you and I spoke briefly the other day, and I said, and we, we have just a little bit of time, I just uh, want to ask if there were certain two or th one or two or three of the antidotes, and there's no way we need to go over all of them. I just want them introduced to people, because actually, I want people to get to realize these, and these can really be helpful, and then yeah. they can look at them themselves. But if yeah. they have two or three examples, I think it'll help set the, set the tone for that. Yeah. Um, yeah, when, when I was looking over again of what I'm using, um, uh, actually, one of the things we talked about last time was your friend who wanted to add humor to this. Who wanted and what? He wanted to add humor. Yes. Oh, as another skill. Yeah. Yeah, to use humor. And right. I, I was thinking about that. That's actually something that's a really important skill and that mm -hmm. I've been focusing on. And, and I was thinking, well, what's the DBT connection with humor? And yeah. what occurred to me was the stance that DBT therapists take of, of balancing, you know, being present and reciprocal, uh, uh, connected with our clients, but also being able to be irreverent and have an irreverent stance. And I think humor is what I use most in cultivating some irreverence in my sessions and in mm. skills groups. And mm. I find it's really helpful for me to be irreverent with myself. It helps me to um, be a little more humble, it helps me to kind of recognize my flaws and foibles and um, yeah. just let myself hold it more lightly so uh that that's another one to be added um another one yes yeah i think the the skill that 
I've heard again be most in, most important uh, when people have taken these is, and and also in my experience in the family skills, for, for the DBT family skills, is this very powerful skill of validation, and that's in number four. But if you don't know DBT, you don't know what maybe all the acronym stands for. But the last line is apply dear with give or fast when you can. And give is referring to what we do to maintain relationship. And we're going to be gentle if we want a relationship to stay. We're going to be interested because that's what draws us to people. And we're going to be validating and have an easy manner. And I just love how Linehan took validating behaviors and really spelled it out, you know, in six different levels and how we can validate an action. And, and Alan Frizzetti has taken it further in his research. And I, I would make a little plug for, for Alan's book, The High Conflict Couple, because it's, it really, the, the subtitle is it's a DBT guide to peace, intimacy, and validation. And there's a few chapters there that I would say, if you have somebody you want to make a gift to, is, is that book. Only actually I was thinking if it's really going to be a gift is I would suggest that you read it and then demonstrate it. Right. To the people that you care about. So the, the, the validating is, is so important because when we can do that validating, then we can tackle many of the situations that we've described where we have these big differences, these different expectations, these different histories, our different reactions to different to, to the situations. One of us finds it funny, another finds it hurtful. We don't have to agree, and that's key to validating, is we don't have to agree. We can actually make this deep effort to empathically understand. And I, I kind of think it is like empath, empathy plus or uh, fortified empathy, because we're really making an action it's an active mode of understanding and then conveying that so i i, I think that's just mm -hmm. so powerful yeah well number four does have a lot in it including that validation and uh there's more things you know that come from different parts um the, the yeah. mindful gap i love that idea i've never yeah. used that term before but until until last year i think that was in here and um and, and what does my wise mind say now? I mean, it's just, if you don't know what wise mind is and how to get there, what it means to you, it's not, it's just sort of words. I mean, they're really mm -hmm. not that helpful. But if you do go into the manual or you learn about what wise mind is, I mean, I think it's such an amazing tool if you're sitting in a conflicted family environment and you're not sure how you want to behave, you can then sort of step back into yourself and notice what your emotions are. Yeah and notice what you're caught in emotionally, what's driving you, and, and yet allow them, but not let them run the show. So you don't, you may feel like running out of the room, mm -hmm. but you might decide that doesn't, that's not necessarily the only option you've got. And then you kind of shift over to reasonable mind and figure out what would, what are gonna be the consequences of what I do and what would be a reasonable calculation of how I should behave or what's called for at this point, sort of like getting outside yourself and thinking, what's the reasonable version of this? And then sitting back and, and trying to find some way that honors both of those, that accesses both of those, and comes up with whatever solution 
you know, it is. Um, I had, for, I'm just thinking <laughs> something I did. I'm not sure it's a wise mind thing, but it was definitely a humorous thing. Um, because a brother and I, and we're talking now brothers into their 60s, still having the same argument they've had for 30 years. My younger brother, two years younger, that he was convinced that Pete, the dog, was his dog growing up. And I was convinced that Pete, the dog, and our family was my dog, starting at about age seven. And so I would sometimes say, oh, I was so great. I loved Pete. Pete used to come with me to school. Pete would stay outside the school until it was lunch. And then I, he would be with me at lunch. And then he'd go home with me. And Pete was my dog. And my brother, sometime many, many years ago, said, Pete was not your dog. He was my dog. And he wasn't kidding. And I, I said, this is, I can't believe you're saying this. I mean, you're just doing this to get under my skin. I know it. You know, you have a lot of scores to settle, I guess. But, you know, Pete was my dog and everybody knew it. Yeah. And so he turns to my sister. Did you know Pete was his dog? She said, well, I'm younger than you guys. I really didn't know Pete that well. I said, damn. So I have two older brothers that are older than me. So we asked each of them. Each of them said, I remember Pete, he was a family's dog. He was a whole family's dog. He said, he was not the whole family's dog. He was my dog. And I felt like ridiculous, but I, I didn't, couldn't let go of that. And yeah. so my brother and I are jostling about this every holiday season when we'd get together as a family, because my family's all on the West Coast in Oregon and Washington. And typically my family here goes out there, though sometimes we don't. And, um, and we'd, I'd say, you know, I just, I was thinking about Pete and how Pete used to be with me at Christmas. He'd say, Pete was not with you at Christmas. He would always sit right next to me, I remember. So we'd go back and forth. So one year I was thinking how funny it was that we thought this and also how true it is about memories of childhood that actually you really, you're convinced of your own memory until you hear that someone else in the same family has a totally different memory. <laughs> and it was yeah. like blew, blew me away. So one year, only about three years ago, I got a Christmas card and put it in a box. So when we were opening some presents, he opens up this card and it says, it's a card that my brother's name's Mark. It said, Mark, and it's from Pete. <laughs> and it says, Mark, I want to thank you for how, how much you took care of me and how much fun we had together when we were younger and when I was alive, when, when Chuck, I was Chuck as a kid, when Chuck wasn't available. My brother, my brother reads this and looks daggers at me. And then both of us just cracked up. I mean, so finally this thing had sort of, we had found a middle path, you might say, mm -hmm. between two. Uh, but, you know, these things go on and uh, it's not always possible to, I mean, something as, what sounds as silly as that can really get to your core as a family member, right? I'm just thinking how wonderful it is that you two could, speak what was true to you mm. and not hold back not sacrifice it not make it nice and also not get violent it's right. that i think that's that's part of what we want that's kind of that part of that wise mind is that that's true we can really listen to what's true for us and to speak it and to speak it in a way that's not overly aggressive and certainly not not being true to ourselves, right? So right, and there's a, there's a, another skill in DBT called check the facts, which this is not 
but it sounds like it is because we were trying to check the facts of whose dog it was. But, you know, not only did we ask family members, my parents were both dead by that point, but I couldn't ask them. But we looked, we went, uh, literally got out a family album yeah. from childhood and we looked through it and we wanted to see where was Pete. Oh, you counted the data. Yeah, we were checking the data. We were really doing an experiment and seeing, okay, what, what is the data show? It was kind of nerve-wracking because I thought it was going to show that Pete was with him all the time now that I was thinking about it, but he, it didn't go that way. Um, it, it, Pete was all over the place. I mean, but it didn't look like there was any preference. So I've modified my view of who Pete was with. I, I used to think he helped me get through childhood, um, and maybe he did, but he apparently had several other clients too. No. Yes. Yes. Now here's here's one before we finish that I really liked. I, I actually thought they just belonged next to each other, or maybe there's this equation that made you put them real because there's to me they're so related to each other, which is number five and number ten. Mm -hmm. so I thought, oh, maybe five and ten are, are related to each other because you knew that if the numbers are I have a feeling that wasn't actually why you did that, but <laughs> you know, because five Holidays are prime viewing time to observe our negative thoughts, such mm -hmm. as catastrophizing, all or nothing thinking, and yeah. should thoughts. Getting hooked by twisted thinking leads to unneeded suffering. Let's use this time as an opportunity to practice letting go or not buying negative thinking or ruminating on past grievances. So, you know, there's that. And then there's kind of like, that's like acknowledging the negative. And yes. acknowledging the discomfort and not acknowledging the suffering that comes from certain yes. ways of thinking. But then if you jump up to number 10, yeah. which is actually the top on the list, the holidays can be rough going, which to me is captured in number five in part. Yep. So let's begin by planning some small, doable, positive, pleasurable experiences. Yeah. Do that. Mindfully yeah. notice the positives in your life. Each yeah. day, note something that you're genuinely grateful for find a meaningful thing to do. So it's kind of like, yeah. to me, these are partners uh, where you need to, where it helps if you can really notice that you've got certain kind of thinking that's tr troublesome for you. But then at the same time as recognizing that and trying to let go of that, you don't have to, you don't have to wait to try to plan some positive experience, right? A good encounter or, or right. something to do to help someone else, which is another one of these. Right. Um, so yeah. I, I think there, there are different ways when you start to look at these that they kind of link yeah. with each other. And if, if people want to kind of pursue this further, it's um, Marshall Lennon did such a nice job in accumulating positive emotions and kind of weaving some of this together because number five is a little bit in the spirit of not so much changing the content of our thoughts as changing how we're relating to our thoughts. And, and one of the resources for that is acceptance and commitment therapy. So Steve Hayes does such a nice job talking about that. Yeah. And, and number 10 is what we would call behavioral activation, you know, where we are deliberately finding things that are meaningful for us, that matter, that we haven't been doing. Yeah. Enough of, and we're scheduling them. We're being intentional about that because we know from the research that as we do these things that matter, this shifts our mood state, this shifts our sense of ourselves. We actually get reinforcers from doing things that matter and we can feel significantly more engaged and more positive. Yeah, yeah. 
Right, yeah, it's true. You've got like acceptance and commitment therapy in here and you've got uh, behavioral activation, two, two evidence-based treatments along with DBT are right in here. Yeah, well, and, and Marcia took those and interwove them in the uh, accumulating positive emotions. I thought that was just wonderful. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very interesting. Um, look, uh, we've already run out of time. It's unbelievable, but we did. And um, John, I just want to thank you. This was really enjoyable. I'd say even more than last year, maybe just because we met last year about this and just had more of a chance to think uh, a little bit about these. But it was... Mm -hmm. It, and, and wove in some of our personal experience, which I think is at least helpful in a conversation like this. I hope, I hope it was helpful to listen to. And I just want to give people a recommendation that two things, like I said at the beginning, unless you missed the beginning, which sometimes happens with people, is that um, know that you can go to dbtfamilyskills.com, John's website, and you can download the holiday antidotes. And you can go over them and there's even a worksheet with them that helps you kind of like look at what might be useful and put it down and try them out and, and see how they work. Um, so that's one thing. And the other thing is, as you hear, we're, we're, we're sort of, these are not like set in stone. We're making up new ones as we go and we're talking about these old ones. So please feel free. You can, uh, John, and you're on your website. Is there an, email option that somebody can email something to you? Yeah, there's a contact information. Yeah, yeah, I would welcome that. So you could, well, you could send to John and say, here's another one I was thinking of for your list or for future list or something like that. Or you can always send those things to my email uh, through my website or, or just c.robert.swenson.com and then at, at gmail.com. Um, and, uh, you know, because it's fun to get feedback about these things and then uh, to, to uh, just keep upgrading things. So thanks, John, for being on and doing Thank this. Thank you, Charlie. And I, I do want to just give a nod to um, our, our colleague, Perry Hoffman, because she had, you guys did such a nice podcast. And I would not be doing this work with families in the way that I do it if, if it weren't for her support. So I just want to remember her and appreciate that. Good. I'm glad you said that. Yeah, she's, she's actually remains an integral part of these podcasts. I'm not sure I would have started doing them without her suggesting them at some point when I was thinking about doing different mm -hmm. things. And she was always here. She would have been listening to this one if she was alone. Yeah. So it's, uh, it's a sad uh, thing, but also somebody to be grateful for. So thanks mm -hmm. for bringing that. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and by the way, having said that Seth Axelrod won the Outstanding Educator Award, it was also announced at this year's Is It DBT meeting, the international meeting, DBT once a year. It was in Atlanta this year that there's a, there's a new name of the, of the DBT Service Award, which is given every two or three years. It's the Perry Hoffman service award for dbt mm -hmm. so people in the future are going to receive honors mm -hmm. because they're contributing their service in in the in the world with dbt so it's a very nice honor wonderful yeah yeah okay well have a great holiday and i hope yep. you your skills beautiful <laughs> holidays to you too and everyone is listening yes everybody uh everybody all right merry christmas happy hanukkah happy kwanzaa and all and happy new year <laughs> Adios. Bye. Bye, John. Bye.